Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Diving into today's topic, we want to make sure everyone knows that we support the protests that are happening around our nation and our country. On today's episode, we speak on the looting and negatives of the protests. And while we should have thought more about this discussion prior to recording it, it was recorded just two days after the protests began. So at the time, things were very chaotic and the media was portraying a lot of uh, negativity. Since then, the protests have continued and have become much more peaceful. We want everyone to know we support wholeheartedly the messages of the protesters and the importance of racial equality. We also will be the first to admit we come from a standpoint of white privilege and have a lot to learn and to pass down to our children. We are working on this. Thank you so much for your support. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Gina. And I'm Nicole. And today we are dishing out another Q&A episode. But first, it's been a while. Let's do some catching up. Nicole, what's new? All right. Well, beginning of June here, um, my 11th wedding anniversary was May 23rd. And Mark and I got real rebellious and we crossed state lines to go. Mm. Um, yeah, I know. To a real bougie dinner. Um, and I, it, it was my mistake. I didn't like prep ahead of time to know like what the regs were. Like, what did we need to do to go get dinner um, yeah. at this place? And it was it was absolutely delicious. But we had to wear a face mask. From the hostess stand to our table. I was like, okay. So apparently that's... <laughs> What's the point? Right. Exactly. Um, But that's apparently the gig now because Michigan uh, is now open for dining. They've just released kind of all their dining, um, you know, kind of guidelines and that is included. But anyway, the meal okay. was fantastic. Nice. Um, and yeah, I ordered cocktails, which like it just isn't like me to do that. Um, really? Because you order beer beer or wine. wine. Um, but yeah, I ordered like a tequila drink, which I just love tequila. Mm-mm-mm. Me too. Delicious. Me too. <laughs> um, so yeah, our it was like perfect weather. Mark's parents had come up for the weekend. We got like the beach in and it was nice. just a great day. So that was super. Um, okay. Totally a guilty pleasure, but just in case any, and nobody responded when I posted, I know you're <laughs> totally gonna... <laughs> Should I just not even say it? It's no, of course people should. should judge the crap out of me. So I listened to this terrible podcast called "Call Her Daddy." Um, isn't that what it's called? I, I think that why, you've said why, that before. So okay. yes. Um, now I'm doubting myself. So anyway, or is the, it "Call Me Daddy"? No, it's "Call Her Daddy." I'm sorry, it's okay. "Call Her Daddy." Okay, so it's it was two very promiscuous uh, girls in New York City, and okay. Basically, they got greedy and went at Barstool, who's their um, like who they work for, and they wanted to like renegotiate their contracts and make all this money. Well, ends up they're both making like five to six hundred thousand dollars on their podcast, which is just crazy. That's kind of like us. (laughs) I mean, not to brag, but yeah, this is very lucrative. Um, uh Uh, Um, LOL. As we hemorrhage money. Um, right. And so it's it's basically a, just a sex podcast. So it okay. blows up and they disappear off the air. And there's all these speculations on social media about what happened and blah. So anyway, they're back on the air as of last Wednesday. And oh. the, I was on PTO last Wednesday just to burn PTO um, because of all this COVID crap. I have to. Yeah. And I was like, yes, I get to go on a run <laughs> and listen to the podcast. Like I was so excited. It released at midnight and I almost stayed up to listen. Oh my gosh. I know. So I mean, I know our listeners are that kind of devoted, but you know, anyway, so I just, I had to (laughs) let Mark's like, you're obsessed. And I was like, I I totally am. Um, Okay. So there's an, there's another real quick podcast. Have you heard of this one called dying for sex? It's about this girl. It's actually, well, it was really, really good. It it was only two seasons, but she um, was, was diagnosed with breast cancer and she decided to explore her sexual side while she was basically dying of breast cancer. And she went on all these like promiscuous dates and just be- like sexually developed over the last year. And then, well, you'll have to listen to it. I mean, it was really, really good. I really enjoyed it. Only two seasons, but you'll find out why at the end. You can probably guess. Yeah. Really good. Oh, yeah. well, that's sad. Yeah. 
Um, these, but it was good. It was a good message, and okay. I mean, it was it was really good. I cannot say the same about my call her daddy host. But it's, it's just <laughs> a guilty pleasure. Um, I'm totally into running lately. I don't know why. I've just yeah. kind of um, been enjoying that. Um, and I'm like back into the office. Like we are full swing, and like things are starting to wrap, like just kind of ramp back up with life. And I'm just in this mode. I don't know how you are. Like we just downshifted so much that I have things mm-hmm. on the calendar now. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's stressing me out a little bit. And I've always said the less you do, <laughs> the less you're capable of doing. And I feel like mm-hmm. we just downshifted so much yeah. mm-hmm. um, that I'm I'm in this like <laughs> getting reacquainted with my busy schedule. Yeah. Um, that's just completely a random thought. And then, okay, Mrs. Everything. So you've mm-hmm. su- you suggested this book. Mm-hmm. I read mm-hmm. it. It was really long and I'm not in love with it like you were. Okay. Yeah, you know, I think it's hit or miss. And I always hate, re- this is why I hate recommending books. I'm always like, no, I don't know. No, I, I did liked not hate it. it. Okay. Okay. And most people love it. Like the, the woman who leads my book club loved it. And I didn't, yeah. I didn't hate it. It just uh-huh. wasn't like one of those books where I'm like, I have to pick it up. Like if it's yes. sitting there, I'm kind of like, like I could, or I couldn't, um, sure. but it was pretty long. Um, it was really long. I would, I loved I would, how it spanned the decades. Like I, I think it was worthy, yes. worthy of a read. I gave it four stars on Goodreads, but I, if I, mm-hmm. if I could do halves, I would, I would have given it three and a half, but Okay. Yeah, I mean, I can totally see where people really enjoyed it. I think it hit on like a ton of and very timely for all these riots and things going yeah. on. But it hit on, I mean, homosexuality. It hit on sexism. It hit on, yeah. I mean, it hit on like the big ones, um, yeah. parenting. Um, Racism. There was, yeah. right? Wasn't there some of that in there? I'm sure yeah. there was. I'm sorry. It wasn't there. It wasn't, I feel like someone was Jewish. I can't remember. Yeah, they were like why. all Jewish. Um, they were Jewish. Yeah. I've read so many books in between that book. I can't keep track. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> I'm, I'm I've never been able to say that, but it's kind of true. And I love that. Um, so, yeah, I think interracial marriages, I would say it hit yeah. on drugs, rape. Yep. I mean, it kind of got yep. it all. Um, so, yeah, I think it's worth a read. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I give it. Did I give it? I might have given it five stars. It's, it's hard for me to give it five stars or any book five stars. It takes a lot. It was definitely one of those books, though, that I kept picking up. The last book I read, though, that I just finished today, I, I would say I kind of looked at it the same way. It sounds like you looked at Mrs. Everything. I enjoyed the book. It was fine. It kept me, you know, entertained. But I it wasn't one of those books where I was like, I can't put it down. And it keeps me up at night wanting to keep reading. And you know, that's book? when I know it's a really good book. It was called... Um, Oh my gosh, the something like, like the 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 making of Evie. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna forget this now. It was about this woman who who uh, was about to leave her husband, and he ended up dying right before she was about to leave him. I can't remember. I'll have to look it up. I can't think of the name, but it wasn't it wasn't my favorite. We've been reading machines. What else have you been up to? That's what it's called. Evie Drake starts over. I was totally off. Evie Drake starts over. It was all right. So speaking of things that we've been into or not into, Working Moms, have you seen the last season of that or the latest season? I'm Yes, I'm, I think. Um, I watched it's it. It's season three. Yes, then yes. And it was really short, which really kind of bummed me out. Um, it wasn't my favorite season, but. Well, it was short. I mean, it all, it, I feel like it was five episodes. Oh. Yeah. I was like, wait, it's done? I couldn't believe it. And it so it wasn't really. I don't know if they maybe released a full season early because everything that's been going on and they're going to le- release the second half later. I'm not sure, but it was a short season. I didn't know you watched um, Working Moms. Great. Oh, yeah. Heck yeah. It's, it, you know, the thing I don't like about it is that they're really short episodes, <laughs> um, but I do love the, love the show. It's like a sitcom almost. Oh, maybe we talked about her lips, her crazy lips. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I love them. Like I've, I've learned to love them, you know? <laughs> I don't I know. Agree. I agree. Bravo to her. She, she could get those things fixed any day, anytime. I'm sure. I'm sure she makes enough money to be able to do something with those things, but she doesn't. She's confident and I love it. Um. Okay. So vacation update I have on here. We are going to be going to Nags Head in June. I am pumped about it. I, you know, for a while there, we had decided we probably weren't going to go because my dad is high risk and our, my kids are starting daycare, which I'll talk about in a second. And just didn't know that it was worth it. But my dad does not seem to have any hesitation whatsoever. So you know what? If he doesn't have a hesitation, then I guess I don't. And I really, truly believe that our school, I mean, okay, so the, the kids started school today. And so it was the first day back. 
I feel like they are doing everything humanly possible to keep these kids safe. I feel very confident that they're not going to get sick. Now, I don't, this doesn't mean they're not. They could be doing, they could put the kids in a bubble and they could still get COVID. You know, there's there's no guarantee. But I do feel very, very good about the situation right now. And, you know, again, if my dad wants us to come, then we're going to do our best to stay away from him and to socially distance from him. But obviously we're going to be in the same house, so it's not going to be that's not going to be a guarantee. Also, my brother's going, who I feel like has been out and about in the world way more than we have. He's been working still like on a construction site. He um, manages a construction site. He's a civil engineer. I don't know exactly know what he does, but, um, and uh, he's been going to work and around people who don't wear masks. It really makes me angry. So he's going and I'm like, okay, whatever. So if my dad gets sick, it's probably his fault. <laughs> definitely his fault. <laughs> I'll just blame it on him. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited. And I, you know, again, I, I I feel like if he would have had any hesitation, I wouldn't, we wouldn't be going and we're going. So yeah, I'm excited about that. Uh, oh, you might've seen on Instagram page got hit in the head with a golf club by Cameron. He's been letting out a lot of rage lately. He took a golf club straight to her head. I was relaxing in our giant pool. I had this, it was, it was so perfect. I was on this floaty just floating on the pool on this really hot day on Memorial Day with an umbrella in my hand to block the sun with my book in my hand, just relaxing, chilling. All of a sudden, Cameron comes at Paige with a golf club straight to the dome. And (laughs) I'm laughing at you saying dome, not the situation. It looked brutal. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It was, well, at first I was like, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe, I can't believe you just did that. I put him in his, in, in the house. I went to grab her. Like, are you okay? All of a sudden, it just starts gushing blood. I'm like, and I, I don't do blood. Like, I can't handle blood at all. So I'm like, I can't. And I kind of walked away. My brother was there, thank goodness, because um, Nick was inside doing who knows what. And he calmed her down, my brother, Joe. And later on, Paige was like, Mommy, when, when you ran in the house scared, you made me more scared. And I felt so bad. I'm like, I'm sorry. That's just how it's always going to be. Anyway, she ended up being fine. No stitches needed. The blood stopped. Apparently, the head bleeds a lot. So true. Yeah, she's got a giant gash in her head, but it's nothing that's it's just a giant scab, basically. Uh, lastly, my braces, just an update. I was supposed to have them off at the end of April, new date, June 30th. So I will not have them off by my vacation, which really pains me, but I'll be okay. So to get off. Oh, so I had my last wire put on. And I was like, you know what? I'll be fun and have some really fun colored rubber bands. You know how you used to do that when you were a kid? Like, oh, I'll get pink and purple and rainbow. I was like, hey, put pink and purple ones on me. My daughter will love it. So I've got these pink and purple rubber bands on my teeth right now. Okay. I get home. I'm like, look, Paige, look at my braces. She takes one look at them. She goes, oh, cool. And walks away. I was like, are you for real? <laughs> so now I'm stuck <laughs> with purple and pink <laughs> braces for the next month. And my daughter could care less. She's probably going to school telling all of her friends that she hasn't seen in three months how how cool yeah. her mom's teeth are. See, I wish she was, but I don't think she is. I think she could care less. <laughs> anyway. Then I think we would be remiss not to talk about the protests that are happening, which just started happening um, about two days ago. So what uh, is the state of affairs in Michigan, Nicole? Um, well, I just hear local, which I'm in St. Joe, um, which borders Benton Harbor, um, are often referred to as the Twin Cities. Um, there is a very large African-American population in Benton Harbor, and uh, there was a peaceful protest slash march yesterday. And I was very, very proud and happy to hear that it was completely peaceful and truly just like a beautiful event. So wow. that warmed my heart. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. Grand Rapids is, um, best mm-hmm. I can tell, a complete hot mess. Um, Flint, I think, also did a really nice job with their, um, you know, peaceful protesting. So I would say our, our state is kind of split. But um, last night was it's Monday t- evening. And last night, Mark and I just stayed up way too late just watching the news, kind of bouncing yep. back and forth between, um, you know, D.C. with the fires mm-hmm. and all the looting. And, like, mm-hmm. I think it was Santa Clara. Um, it just it just breaks my heart really it just yeah. this is it 2020 has i mean hmm. the world just said bend over people because this is just crazy mm-hmm. like people just really can't take much more yeah yeah it's, it's, i i'm scared for the economy and like 
what this is going to drive people to have to do or feel as though they have to do just to survive, you know, to make it literally from one day to the next. Never mind like the social aspects of what's going on in the world. I mean, just when you think about I'm like recalling like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like our most basic needs are like safety are like not being met right now. And then you go down yeah. like shelter and, you know, um, yeah. And I'm being a total psychology dork. But when you think about those types of things, like those are things that are needs that are not being met in the world. And it's just going to lead to more bad things. And I think, again, like everything else, the uncertainty is so unnerving. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have anything to add to that. I mean, Columbus specifically has been a nightmare. Terrible. Yeah. I mean, I just I can't I can't fathom like I am. In fact, I for I almost at the beginning went down to be part of the I don't want to call it a riot. It's a a peaceful protest. I wanted to be a part of it for sure. But I'm so glad I didn't because what they've done to the downtown area is absolutely horrendous. I mean, storefronts that are just opening after two months of being closed, completely demolished, you know, you know, uh, glass windows, you know, the front. Um, face, what is it called? Just the front of all these different um, businesses on high street, just completely destroyed. It's just adding insult to injury. And it's just really, really sad. It's the last thing we need. And I'm sorry I had to come to that. And it's, I wish it wouldn't have. I know they're out there for a good cause and it should have stayed that way. I think right now they've just gone beyond, it's not helping anything, you know? So, all right. Okay. So let's get into our topic. I'm sure there will be a lot more on that. Uh, in the in the coming months, hopefully good things. Hopefully those three policemen get what they deserve. We shall see. Actually, I think it's four total. One of them has already been prosecuted. I think three still have not. But I don't think it's the riots that are doing anything. It, just, it should just happen naturally without having the need for this, right? I don't think mm-hmm. it should just, that should be a, a, an obvious thing. Like, look at what, what happened to that guy. How could you not prosecute anyone who was involved in that? Mm-hmm. So. Okay, so again, listener Q&A, what, what we're going to do, I'll just go ahead and read the ones that you answered, Nicole. I think that's how, how we normally do it. And then you okay. can read the ones that I answered. So the first question that we got from you lovely listeners is, is coconut, I feel like we get this every time and you said that too, <laughs> is coconut oil bad for you? Yeah, we won't spend a lot of time here. Um, coconut oil is a tropical oil. It's about 92% saturated fat, <clears throat> which is definitely very high in saturated fat. It's also kind of known, its claim to fame, if you will, is for its content of medium chain fatty acids, which are, they kind of bypass the normal fat absorption and go directly into portal circulation and are transported straight to the liver for rapid oxidation. Uh, So basically what that means is it's just really efficiently converted to fuel or energy, or if you don't need that, fat. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's really no conclusive proof uh, that coconut oil consistently acts differently from other saturated fats. Uh, so it's basically a food that should use be used judiciously in the diet. Um, I would say from a culinary perspective, if it adds like a certain flavor profile or value to certain cuisines, for example, like something Thai, um, using coconut oil as a base uh, adds beautiful flavor, um, mm-hmm. but it shouldn't be used in excess, basically. And calorie for calorie, um, it's the same as olive oil, avocado oil. I mean, all of your oils are going to be right at about 120 calories per tablespoon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, doesn't the research, though, say that I know you said it's not conclusive, but I have read research that says that the saturated fats found in coconut oil does not have a negative effect on your overall cholesterol. And that's because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it increases your H or wait, hold on. It doesn't it affects your HDL positively. So it increases your HDL, but also what am I thinking about here? Hold on. It it doesn't negatively affect your affect your cholesterol. I don't think of the cholesterol as much as just like the atherosclerotic risk because it does okay. bypass like because of the absor- it's because it's a medium chain fatty acid or or yeah. triglyceride really. Um right? Medium chain yeah, medium yeah, chain yeah, yeah. fatty acid. Yeah. That mm-hmm. it bypasses kind of normal fat digestion, if you will, and that whole process. Okay. So it's it's not gonna it doesn't pose that that same plaque building risk as okay. say okay. butter or lard. And I think like what you said, the research is still is still out there. So for people to think, oh, I'm sure there's research out there that says, oh, it doesn't affect your cholesterol. But just like anything like eggs, it's, it's going to go back and forth. So it's probably best 
to consume it in moderation, like we'd say about most things that are high in saturated fat. I like we to use it in know. place of butter and baked goods because I like mm-hmm. the flavor. Basically. Yeah. yeah. So if you're going to use it, don't use it because of its health benefits. Use it because it tastes good. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I agree with you. All right. Next question. All right. Sorry. Um, I forgot oh, to no, turn to read. Uh, I re- <laughs> listener asked, I recently listened to your episode on intuitive eating, and I'm curious if Gina uses a similar approach with technology. Yeah. So I liked this question. It really made me think. Is it so basically, I, 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 I never really even consider, I don't think about technology that much. So, and really, I've only recently had to start strategizing about technology with my kids. Uh, I would say my kids at their age, they're really, really into television, but not really that much into iPads or video games yet. Um, so yes, as my kids get older and want to watch more TV or play on the iPad more or use other technology more, I will continue to use a similar approach as I do with food, but I would say it would be poignantly different. And here are some similarities to my approach. So I do try to lead by example by not having my face in my phone all day. I try really hard to do that. In fact, Paige is really good at pointing out when I'm on my phone too much. Um, I also try not to watch TV a whole lot in front of them myself. In fact, one of the downsides I feel like about having a Kindle is that I'm always trying to make sure that they know I'm reading. I'm not on the iPad. This is a book. So they know when I'm sitting around, you know, with them and hanging out and they're playing or something and playing in the pool or on the swing set and I'm sitting there staring at a screen. I'm actually reading a book. (laughs) I'm always trying to tell them that. Um, I also try to offer them technology as a way to learn versus a way to just stare at a screen. For example, they've been watching a lot of YouTube videos uh, lately, but specifically of books being read out loud. So I've really gotten them into, hey, instead of me reading to you, why don't you watch this YouTube video of some other voice reading to you? And they really, really like that. Or they'll use it for moose math or other learning games uh, on their apps, which we've recently gotten into because of the whole stay-at-home order and you know, um, tech, uh, learning at home, basically. So lastly, I do allow them screen or TV time every single day, just like I allow them to have desserts every single day. Uh, so school days, I say about 30 minutes. And then weekends, I usually say about 60 to 90 minutes of screen time a day. But what I do differently is I do use technology as a reward and also a punishment. So in other words, I take it away if they've been misbehaving. I don't feel as though it's as detrimental as with food. Um, So for example, Paige wasn't good for our sitter one day a few weeks ago. And while I could have easily said no dessert for a week, which would have definitely made her upset, instead I said no TV after dinner tonight or tomorrow night. So I really think technology and food are so different. So our approach is equally different. I also set limits on TV time. Like I said, 90 minutes a day during the weekend. And as of lately, when I was home with him, or 60 minutes, depends on the day, where I typically don't set limits on dessert or snacks, at least not limits that I talk about openly. I do have my own internal limits, which I don't talk about with them. Uh, Developing a healthy relationship with food takes a different strategy, in my opinion, than developing a healthy relationship with technology. But this is coming from a dietitian. You know, I don't have a degree or much knowledge in, um, you know, child development. So maybe a a child development specialist would disagree. Um, I don't know. What do you what are your what do you think about that question, Nicole? Yeah, I it's it's such a timely thing to talk about because I know a lot of the like larger Facebook groups, you know, that I belong to some of the, you know, parents have asked like how much screen time is your kid getting? And, you know, parents are just mm-hmm. like, um, as much as they want or need right now, because <laughs> we're hanging on by a thread. Yeah. Um, you know, we haven't been in that situation, but I would say, um, for us on weekdays is consistently the TV can go on at 7 PM and they are going up to bed by seven fifty. So they get 50 mm-hmm. minutes, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. We have been in this bad habit um, because we do not have childcare at past 3 p.m. And obviously our work oh. days do not add, uh, go past. They do go past 3 p.m. Uh, we're in this bad habit currently of them getting about 45 minutes of iPad or tablet time mm-hmm. in the afternoons. Um, so they're unfortunately getting accustomed to that. So I think my takeaway is really to be um, just to be predictable to them about when you will or will not offer um, technology. So um, I still have, we haven't been to a restaurant in a long time, so that's why I'm hemming and hawing. But, you know, at a restaurant, we, we kind of use the phone 
on an as needed, almost like emergency basis, which is, um, I don't know. I just, that's one thing I've really held strong about because to me, it almost defeats the purpose of even bringing the kids. Like, I don't know. It's, it's easier said than done. It's, it's, it's hard. And I think that technology, the more they get, the more they want. So I don't know. I don't have a good answer, but I think to be consistent and I have no problem taking it away. Like you said, using it as a punishment or a reward. Yeah. So I think the moral of the story is yes and no. Definitely. I use a lot of the, and sounds like you do too, same intuitive eating approaches, but also very much so not. Like for example, using it as a reward or taking it away for, as a punishment, I definitely do that with TV. And I don't ever do that with food. Mm-hmm. At least not if I'm aware of it. I've probably done that a few times, um, just not even thinking, but you know, in a fit of rage, you know, you're not getting dessert tonight. <laughs> just because it's like the first thing that comes to my mind. I know it'll piss her off. Um, but yeah, I, I try very hard not to do that. Okay. Um, next question. Please discuss the science of intermittent fasting. It says Dr. Fung, new book on the fasting lane. So I guess discuss that. I've not heard of that. And the diet culture use in faster way to fat loss. I've not heard of any of this. Oh, okay. So Nicole, I'm, I, so I'm not on familiar to, with on the- this book specifically. Um, I do work in health system with a lot of dietitians and I know of a dietitian who just loves the work of Dr. Fung, um, believes it's very evidence-based and and scientific. I can't speak to that necessarily, but I am more familiar with faster way to fat loss. Um, And so basic tenets of the diet include carbs, carb cycling, which is basically an intentional variation of carb intake each week. Um, and or each day, even the cycle is based on the workouts that are given to maximize fat burn and energy levels. Um, it also mixes in tenants of intermittent fasting and um, tracking macros. So that would include carbohydrates, protein, and fat. They include meal plans um, based on their web uh, per their website. Um, and it says, "quote Workouts are not necessary to do the program." <laughs> right on their website. I was like, oh. <laughs> Okay. You don't have to work out. Red flag number one. Um, (laughs) I also read that there is no dairy in the diet. I thought that Mm -hmm. was very interesting, Um, which to me is another red flag. As soon as we're eliminating eliminating entire food groups, um, whether somebody likes them or you know what I'm like, they, yeah, yeah, they're just gone. Um, But a growing body of research suggests that the timing of meals, especially the last meal of the day, may be important to health. And I'll follow that up with Intermittent fasting is probably one of the most promising areas of research with regard to, and we've talked a little bit about it, but um, diabetes and obesity. But looking Mm -hmm. at not only, I would say not just the last meal of the day, but also then the first meal of the following day to to look at what is that fast period uh, Mm -hmm. or period of fasting. Uh, But specifically, research suggests that time-restricted feeding and intermittent fasting may not only aid in weight management, but also reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease and improve, again, blood glucose control, even in those without diabetes. So we'd be looking at just, um, you know, like elevated insulin levels, prediabetes, um, all of that stuff. So studies found that the amount of weight loss following an alternate day fast was equal to that um, just with a low-calorie weight loss plan. Um, but on the faster way to fat loss, you perform your higher intensity workouts on your lower carb days with the idea being that you burn fat. So you're, sure. you don't have the carb ba- Basically, you're depleting your glycogen stores um, in order to use alternate energy sources, which is fat. So in reality, a high fat loss, um, weight loss uh, comes from moderate energy restriction. So you have to achieve that one way or another, which sure can come from reducing carbohydrates um, while exercising in a way that engages muscles of the body, um, helping to ensure weight loss uh, versus fat and weight loss from fat versus muscle. Um, But obviously excessive restriction of any type (laughs) is going to lead to pretty rapid uh, weight loss that will endanger lean mass. So I would say overall, some positives would be including some tenants of um, intermittent fasting. Uh, I would say the carb cycling on like a scale of like absolutely do not do it to absolutely would recommend. I would say carb cycling. I'm I'm kind of indifferent towards. I don't know. What do you think? Well, you know my thoughts. I think it's a load of crap. <laughs> 
I mean, I do. Yeah. I, and, I, and I'm dying to know how long these, um, this research, ha- how long, how long of a period the research uh, looked at, because I could certainly do maybe something like carb cycling or intermittent fasting for a period of time and lose some weight. Let's say I was, you know, hundred pounds overweight, maybe lose 50 pounds, hundred pounds. But research shows over and over and over and over again that you'll then put that weight back on and typically more. So I'm just really curious how that, what, what the kind of research, how long this research has, has gone out. Yeah. I, I think moderate restriction is best. And I think if you can achieve that through energy reduction, so reducing calories, and if you would like mm-hmm. to do that from carbohydrate, you probably we probably all have enough carbohydrate to reduce our energy intake by, you know what, but while still maintaining adequate carbohydrate coming in. Mm. Um, while increasing your energy output or your exercise. I would say ahead of carb cycling, I would put emphasis on calorie cycling. And the reason for that being, and Mm -hmm. I would say I do this unintentionally, it it really almost follows like an 80-20 type rule of if you eat the same number of calories or energy every day, your body knows exactly what to predict. That's not real life. Real life is you go on vacation and you eat more. You come home and you you know, reacquaint yourself with lots of fruits and vegetables. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's life. Um, and that is a very informal way of calorie cycling and the body's way of kind of evening itself out. Most of us do that in a very, very unknown, um, informal way. So I would say that yeah. calorie cycling is way more helpful, not only for weight maintenance and weight loss, but also for your sanity. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, you probably agree and probably anyone who's listening agrees. I have days where I'm just not that hungry mm-hmm. and I just don't eat as much. It doesn't matter if I worked out or not. I just don't have that much of an appetite. Then I'll have a day where I feel like I, I can't eat enough. And I think that's very, very normal. That's just our bodies telling us when we're hungry and when we're not. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's perfectly healthy and and normal. I don't think that that's considered calorie cycling, I'm sure. But that to me is my own version of that, I guess, where I don't have to think anything about it. I'm listening to my body. I'm listening to my body's hunger cues. And I think that's what's most important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know by definition what calorie cycling, but if if I'm working with somebody who's hit like a weight loss plateau and let's say they've been consistently eating 1600 calories a day, whatever it is, yeah. I'm just like, I'm just completely making up numbers here, but I would encourage them to have a, a day that is, you know, six, eight, 900 calories above kind of their recommended calories in a day that falls slightly below and on the day that they're eating more perhaps that they have a a higher intensity workout like I think that that that's not like a punishment thing that you're trying to outsmart your body at that point because a lot of people have a weight that their body wants to hang on I mean I I guess I'm speaking from experience I am one of these people in order for me to achieve weight loss I have to outsmart my body and it only works like not well. So I mean, yeah. my, my, frustration, so, <laughs> my frustration is, is there too, I guess. So, um, yeah, solidarity with that. But, um, yeah, I, I mean the faster way to, if you check out their website, there's, there's just lots of red flags. I mean, any site that's going to tell you what to eat, um, eliminate food groups, tell you that working out is not necessary. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. there's just a lot of, uh, and to me, a prescriptive workouts that is like a one size fits all I mean, what if I run a six minute mile? Are you going to give me the same workout as somebody who's, you know, hasn't run a mile in their life? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, that's not a plan. Like, you know, that's that's a failure. Yeah. Yeah. I went off. I agree. Okay. No, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next question. What's a realistic, well-balanced meal for a one to three year old look like? And the listener says, I know some kids eat more than others, but mine is pretty much refusing most foods unless it's a carbohydrate. LOL. Where can I go for some good resources? I'm finding people are either very paranoid or very lax regarding toddler eating. Yeah. And I would fall into the lax category. And I'm very happy to say that. I never would have said that before having kids. But now that I have them, I I feel like that's where I am. And I feel really good about it. And my kids, I think, are turning out pretty great. Um, I think actually sometimes my family and friends question me because I am a dietitian. How could I be so relaxed with my kids when it comes to food? Uh, I'm always offering and exposing my kids to a variety of foods. And I really think that is what is most important. And I know we've said that over and over again on this podcast. So especially in the one to three age range, I would say, when they can be their most choosy 
Uh, for Paige, her choosiness was really at its peak when she went to preschool and started forming her opinions based on what her friends said. And that was around age two and three. And Cameron has been choosier since about age two, about for the same reasons, I would say. And also he kind of found his voice at that time and he really wanted to use it. And he does. So I am very much in that very relaxed um, parenting around food. And especially, I would say, again, going back to the intuitive eating, there was that whole section that I read and that I we talked about on that episode, our, our episode on intuitive eating, raising an intuitive eater goes back to that, just being relaxed around uh, food when it comes to your kids and being relaxed around food in front of your kids um, and, and not causing anxiety in the kitchen or at mealtime for yourself or for your kids. I'm going to put a couple links in our show notes. There's a really great website from eatright.org with some really good articles there's also, if you're interested, a new app. So there's a whole website, choosemyplate.gov, where you can find some helpful resources. And then you can also find out exactly how many cups and ounces of each of the food groups that your child needs. But the app can be helpful as well. If you download the Choose My Plate app, it's free on, um, I know it's on Apple phones. I'm not sure if it's on any others. I don't know why it wouldn't be. Uh, but you can download it and then input your children's age and weight an activity level, and then they'll give you uh, the different servings of each food group that they need per day, roughly. It's not, a, it's not a perfect science. It doesn't have to be perfect. I'll tell you right now, my kids do not get everything they quote unquote need on every single day, and that is fine. So roughly, you know, a child between one and three is going to need about one cup of each fruit and vegetable, two to three ounces of each of each grain and protein. So about two to three ounces of grain, two to three ounces of protein, and then two cups of milk. Again, that's between the age one and three, depends on if they're male and female, depends on their activity level. And honestly, it's just a a recommendation. It depends on their height, their weight. Like I have very, very small children. So, I mean, my kids generally only consume about one cup of milk a day, uh, maybe, you know, three ounces of protein, maybe two, depending on the day and probably more like one cup of fruit and vegetable a day, depending on the day. Um, there are definitely weeks when they get much more than that. And then there are weeks when they got, get much less than that. And it's really okay. I really think that overall it's exposure and setting a good example as a parent that is really what matters. And I think that's the most important takeaway um, for this answer to the question. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I would, um, I'm, I'm less accommodating, I would say to our <laughs> picky palates. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I absolutely exposure that has to be number one. Yeah. And, and setting a good example. I mean, if you're eating, you know, I don't want to say crap, but if you're not eating a balanced diet yourself on most days, why would your kids do it? Um, but I think that also means also in allowing yourself to have, you know, sweets and treats and chips and, you know, whatever else you want to consume. Um, not being too strict with yourself because your kids will pick up on that. Uh, so, you know, like I, I think I said this on an episode before I eat dessert with my kids every single day. I, you know, I grew up with a mom who oftentimes would say, you know, she doesn't eat dessert and or whatever else we're eating. Uh, you know, I know that my mother-in-law says she doesn't eat sugar and she talks about that. And I'm just like, oh, I will not say that in front of my children. Mm-hmm. Um, and nor do I do I, you know, adhere to those strict rules myself. So. I try to set a good example and always expose my kids to good, wholesome, healthy foods. So yeah. All right. Any, yeah, go ahead. No, we just do our best. That's all. Yep. All you can do. And I know it can be frustrating. I mean, just to go back to that, that person's question, it sounds like she's a little bit frustrated. One to three, in my opinion, is the hardest time for, for kids. They, especially because from six months to one, when they're kind of, um, uh, they're really, really, really just playing with food and kind of experimenting with food. You you might think that, oh, they eat whatever I put in front of them, especially even around like one to one and a half. I can remember Paige used to eat salmon and spinach. And then it's around like age two and three when they really start to not eat those foods and it can get very frustrating. So for the first maybe year of them eating, they'll probably eat just about anything you put in front of them. And then all of a sudden that stops. At least that's what happened to me. And I feel like a lot of my friends have said the same thing. So just don't give up and don't get frustrated. I have to add, Mm -hmm. sadly, I would say Shay is going on six. She'll be six in October. I would would say her choosiness has continued to escalate. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think that's normal too. And that's okay. I've got plenty of friends who say, quote unquote, my son never eats vegetables. But again, I would still say the same thing. Exposure, exposure. Don't get frustrated. Don't get frustrated. Don't let them see your frustration. And set a good example. That's all you can do. Or you're just going to make dinner, lunch, breakfast a battleground. And that's the last thing you want. Mm. Yeah, I know. It's frustrating. I needed you to talk me down from the ledge because I made this amazing <laughs> dinner and they didn't eat any of it. Yeah. Oh gosh, it was so good. Well, you're not used to that. See, we're all used to that. Like, I will tell you, <laughs> just based on your Instagram videos, I mean, it sounds, it looks like your kids eat the majority of the things you make. I'll make, you know, this gourmet meal, gourmet for me, and my kids won't even try it. And I want to force them to try it, but I never do. I will always give them a little bit to, you know, give them the option to try it. Rarely will they try it. But I can't, you know, I'm not going to force them to try it and I'm not going to get mad and frustrated when they don't try it because I don't want them to, you know, not look forward to coming to dinner. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. All right, uh, Nicole, I almost called you Rachel. How do you feel about non-RDs giving nutrition advice like chiropractors or other people with quote unquote certifications, especially those making money or a career out of it? Oh my gosh. I I think when I read this question to answer it, I didn't see the part about chiropractors, but man, those are the ones that really get under my skin. Um, okay. So it used to just drive me, like enrage me, honestly. It would just, I would go straight just rage mode. Um, but <laughs> I've really come to realize that I can't stop it. So I got to let that go and recognize that it is what it is. And I would say with thanks to movements such as the health at every size and the evolution of intuitive eating, um, I can feel pretty confident that registered dietitians represent the mainstay and the science. Uh, So when I focus on that, you know, ignoring the extremists and the influencers, I think I personally feel authentic. I feel like a role model and I can definitely feel confident in my science and my profession. So I think with that said, it doesn't make me any less mad, but for me, it's perspective. I'm like, okay, this is what I offer the world. This is what I offer the nutrition world. Like, and I feel good about it. So um, I think all of that speaks to who dietitians are and hopefully people recognize that. Maybe not right out of the gates, but um, I'm curious about your thoughts though. What do you No, I agree. It oh, it certainly makes me angry. I get I get more angry for the customers who are getting sucked into yeah. these things. You know, I, I feel bad. Uh it's almost they like don't they're getting know conned often. Yeah, exactly. Know? I feel good living in Ohio where there's a licensure for and in and, and the term dietitian and the um the title nutritionist is protected very well here in Ohio. So I feel very good living in Ohio. So I don't think about this that much because I live in Ohio and I know the rules here are very strict, but I know it's different in other states. So yeah, because I work in such a clinical setting, I would say I I have a lot less exposure to that. If I were working in um, like if a private practice and I was trying to out market, let's say somebody who was not even qualified to be doing you know, the job that I'm set out to do, I'd be pissed. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't know. So, okay. Switching gears here. Mm -hmm. Gina, is it okay Mm -hmm. to buy conventional over organic produce? Okay. Here it goes. So overall, research really goes back and forth as to whether organic or conventional produce or really any food has more or less nutrients. But I would say more so than not, the research has found that organic does have more nutrients, not by a lot, but certainly a little bit more. That being said, it's more important to consume produce, period. So consume fruits or vegetables, vegetables, period, even if if it's conventional, instead of just not eating them because you can't afford organic produce. I realize that sounds like an obvious statement, but I feel like it's important for me to say that. So regarding the herbicides and pesticides, those who consume conventional produce do have significantly higher, about 50% more pesticide exposure, which I think is kind of an obvious statement compared to those who eat organic. But I should say pesticide and herbicide exposure, their levels are still within the safe limits according to the EPA or the Environmental Protective Agency. 
Overall, choosing organic produce would be most important for the environmental impact rather than for nutrition. So if you're going to choose organic, do it for the environment, not because you're trying to be healthy. Uh, so let's not forget that pesticides can, can also contaminate the air and water. So actually organic farming practices is going to be better for our environment. So the more you purchase them, obviously, the more they're going to produce. So also the use of organic agricultural practices can help replete the planet's biodiversity including the microbial life of our soil, which really may in the long run also benefit our own microbiome, which as we know is so important. My personal strategy is that I choose to buy organic when I can, but mainly for the hopeful benefits that we'll have on our earth, obviously for the next generation of children, um, but also because while they say pesticides and herbicides aren't harming us, really who knows what research might show later? Who knows if the EPA may change their stance? Who knows? No one knows. So in my opinion, if you can buy organic produce, I say do it. But really, I don't fret when I when I can't or don't buy something organic. For me, I would say it's probably 50-50. So half the time I do buy organic, half the time I don't. Um, is it okay to buy conventional? Absolutely. But should you consider, consider organic when you can? Yes. I've always thought it was weird that they call conventional foods. Shouldn't it be the other way around? Like I always think conventional is like the normal, the normal foods, like from the, from the earth, not, you know, not tainted. I feel like conventional is a misnomer, but conventional are the ones that basically um, have the herbicides and pesticides added and don't have that organic um, stamp of approval, approval from the USDA. Do you agree? I feel like conventional is like a, kind of a misnomer. Uh, Do I make any sense? I guess I just feel like conventional, like m- most Agriculture practices do use herbicides and pesticides, so that years and years ago when our you know when yeah, our grandparents that's true. that's true. Anyway, I'm just I'm going off now, but <laughs> all right. So hopefully that answered the question. All right, you got you got two back to back here. Oh yeah. Um, so listener asks, what do I need to eat to be healthy, balance <laughs> hormones, feel good, and look good? Oh boy, don't mess it up, Gina. It's a good question. Yes. <laughs> Isn't this the million dollar question? That's the first thing I had here. It definitely is. So my quick answer is to eat what you love, but make sure it's surrounded by fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and enough protein. So what is enough protein? Take half your weight in pounds, and that's how many grams you need. So if you weigh 150 pounds, you would need roughly 75 grams of of protein. Um, Also getting enough sleep, which is roughly eight, eight hours, so seven to eight hours a day. Drink plenty of water which I usually say just drink enough to keep your pee light in color. You know, if you go to the bathroom and your pee is, you know, pungent and dark, you probably need to drink a little bit more. Um, Be active and move often. So if you're not necessarily exercising, just make sure that you're getting a lot of movement in during your day. Stay attuned to your body. You'll know, for example, when your hormones are off. And I thought this was an interesting question because you've probably heard me on this podcast numerous times talking about my thyroid. I knew something was off. and I'm really glad I went to get it checked. So my thyroid was off. If you're attuned to the nuanced changes that your body has and goes through each month, especially, um, then maybe you'll be more aware of maybe when you need, need to go get something checked out and get some blood drawn and tell your doctor if you notice anything. Lastly, stay Stay tuned for an upcoming episode on how to increase energy levels and feel your best. We do have an episode on that coming up. So that will hopefully answer this question a little bit more. Uh, Is this a question? What? This next one. Yeah. Oh. You have the intuitive eating one? Yeah. I do. You have three. I know. And I have a lot here. I this was a this was quite a deep question and I and I hopefully I'm answering it okay. All right. So some a listener asked. I <laughs> someone, someone <laughs> out there. Uh, okay, intuitive eating and the more extreme views of it seems very popular with the population of millennials recovering from eating disorders. But how can it be applied to managing chronic diseases, disease risk, including the ever touchy subject of obesity? And I mean more extreme uh, with BMIs of thirty-five to forty. Okay, so I've got. Hopefully, this answers the question. So I'm really close to finishing my intuitive eating certificate. And one of the last sessions I had was all about the pervasiveness of diet culture and how the biggest predictor of weight gain is dieting. So kind of going back to that last question about um, intermittent fasting, which is really a diet, unless you actually medically need it, which we could argue some people do. The idea that someone with a higher BMI might actually be suffering from an extremely poor relationship with food 
that is stemmed from years of dieting is not something that people often consider. Instead, we tend to go straight to judgment in assuming those in larger bodies are lazy and addicted to food. Also, the fact that some of the higher mortality rates in those living in larger bodies might actually be because of the bias and judgments of the healthcare system is something else very few people think about. So in other words, rather than simply the fact that they are in a larger body, the fact that their treatment might not be as good as someone in a smaller body might be part of what is negatively skewing those numbers. Okay, imagine going to the doctor for a cold, a simple cold, although you probably wouldn't go to the doctor for a cold, but let's just say you did, and being told to lose weight as the cure for that cold. Going home, so basically doctors will say, you have a cold, you know, it's probably, you're probably just feeling down because you need to lose, you know, 50 pounds. The person goes home and attempts yet another weight loss diet only to add, um, you just moved something on here and now, thank you, only to, <laughs> something got moved there, only to add to the long list of failed diet attempts because newsflash diets don't work, like I said above, and focusing on weight does nothing positive for us in the long run. So long story short, intuitive eating can help those in the extreme BMI category by normalizing and healing their relationship with food. So instead of focusing on weight loss, focusing on overall wellness is is important in lifestyle and health habits. And it's really so much more effective than focusing on a number on a scale. Also, getting rid of shame and guilt is going to benefit one's health in more ways than any diet will. Less stress around food can also help improve inflammation which is what leads to chronic disease. I mean, inflammation is the number one predictor of chronic disease. Having a good, positive relationship with food and being an intuitive eater will reduce stress and obsessiveness over food in your body and likely help reduce all disease risk, period. And while not a weight loss program, intuitive eating may also help those in larger bodies lose weight by helping them have unconditional permission to eat, which in the long term will prevent chronic overeating, binging, and yo-yo dieting. Intuitive eating will ultimately help anyone live a more fulfilling, balanced, and healthy life. And I think I basically answered this question by just going on a tangent about why intuitive eating is so great. But the question, I think, is one that comes up a lot when people are thinking about the benefits of intuitive eating. You know, how can this be? I think especially that part about unconditional permission to eat. Like, how can that be good for someone who has a BMI of 35 or 40? It really goes back to getting rid of the guilt, getting rid of the shame and the stress that can ultimately, I think, lead to that higher BMI and that higher disease risk. And and intuitive eating will help with that. (sighs) Now I'm done. (laughs) Anything to add to that? I yeah I you know I struggle with intuitive eating the it's whole right. concept I just do I just do I just talked a lot so <laughs> um no Wait, what do you, I, what do you struggle with when you say that what are, is there something specific that you're like I don't I don't know what is there, your specific thing that you struggle with I think my struggle comes from living in a larger body and I think a lot of I I guess I would like to see and perhaps it's just my kind of my who I follow, um, but they all mm. tend to be people who, as you would say, have thin privilege. And mm-hmm. I struggle with that. It's very easy mm-hmm. to say, don't have guilt. I mean, eat yeah. what you want. Like when you have perhaps never lived in a larger body, you may have battled, not you, but someone, yeah. X, person X, may have battled an eating disorder or, you know, disordered eating. And I'm not dismissing that at all. But that's a completely different struggle than living in a larger body and all of the shame, guilt, um, you know, I mean, yeah, judgment that goes along with that. So I think it's just tough because nobody has all of those experiences to say like, you know, no, none of us have been, <laughs> very few people have been morbidly overweight, um, suffered an eating disorder had thin privilege, like nobody has all of those experiences. So I almost feel like it's just like, it's almost like the sugar alcohol or sugar substitute debate. Like Coke's going to kill you. No, Diet Coke's going to kill you faster. Like, I feel like it's one of those debates where it's almost like you're darned if you do, darned if you don't kind of things. And I I think it's um, more like, I guess I don't fully drink the Kool-Aid. I think it's a tool. I think it's a very powerful tool. Um, 
but I think it has to, it has to be, it's not a science. It's mm. a philosophy. Hmm. And I think that's where it can not completely like align for me just from a methodology when we're talking about like the science of nutrition, if that makes sense. There is a lot of science behind intuitive eating though. But more a from lot. a psychology. And and like, I mean, I don't want to get down the rabbit hole, but like, like you were right. saying with, um, uh, where is it? Um, inflammation. I mean, all of mm-hmm. that kind of like, absolutely. I mean, all... No, I like I appreciate your answer. It's just a different perspective, I think. Having always lived in a larger body, I would yeah. say I just have a it's bit true. of a different perspective. I I know I completely agree. I have had thin privilege for my entire life. So it's easy for me to say, "Oh, intuitive eating, you know, give yourself unconditional permission to eat." I mean, it's true. It maybe it would be different. I've never been in a larger body. So it is. It's it's easy for me to say, yeah, be an intuitive eater, but you're, you're I'm right. Not I'm not saying you're wrong. T- I'm just no. saying if I follow to a T the recommendations of, of kind of how I would kind of retell, if you will, intuitive eating, mm-hmm. my weight problem would only be exacerbated. That's why I think but it has to be a tool. That's what you think. See, <laughs> I, that's where I think we disagree. Okay. But we're going to get into this with, what is her name? Colleen Christensen. Yes. Yes, because that was actually one of the questions. Colleen Christensen is a an avid intuitive eater, haze promoter who has a lot of great little videos and snippets on Instagram. She's in a, you know, she's in she's got thin privilege. She's very young. And that was one of the questions I had for her. Like, how do you talk to someone who might be in a larger body about intuitive eating when it's really not fair? Because he, here you are with thin privilege, never being in a larger body. And so I'm I'm curious to see how she answers it. Um so yeah. <laughs> I think it's great. I think it's great. I think it's just a piece. I think it's a tool, like I said. Yes. Okay. All right. All right so let's move on. What Sorry. Are some good- <laughs> no, I, this is good. This is good conversation. All right. So what are some good books you've read lately or in the past? And I'll let you go ahead, Nicole, and start. Okay. So I went with just my two kind of all-time favorites if I were to okay. recommend two books. So one being The Reckless Oath We Made. So good. It's okay. amazing. And then number two would be same kind of different as me. Okay. And who's that by? Do you know? It doesn't matter. We can look it up. Look those up. Don't worry about it. All right. So I have got, I've actually got four on here. I'm only going to talk about two. I just put some of the ones that I've read recently. I put the book Pretty Baby by Mary Kubica. Kubica. Okay. She's bomb. So she is a Miami grad. I went to Miami University. I just found this out. I did not know this. I read this book Pretty Baby by her. And just got like the Miami monthly newsletter. And she, there was a whole story about her. And I was like, I think I read that book. She's got two other books. I can't think of it, but you can look up her name. It's K-U-B-I-C-A. But the the book Pretty Baby that I read was, I would say, it was, I gave it a four. I think I gave it a four stars. It was good. It wasn't it's really great, good. but I, I, yeah, I enjoyed it. I start, And I'm going to try to read her other two books as well. Uh, but then the last book I read called Things You Save in a Fire by Catherine Center. Have you read that one? No, but I've heard multiple. It's on my list. Oh my gosh. It was so yeah. good. Okay. It was so good. And I don't want to say that because again, I don't want to, I hate it going into a book and people saying it's so good. And then thinking, well, it's not that good. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed it. So yeah. Cool. Okay. Mom wins and favorite new products or recipes. Okay. Um. So I got two. T- you'll okay. be proud of me. One's a product. So it's from Trader Joe's. It's a tikka <laughs> masala, like jarred sauce. Um, definitely going on the next healthier in a hurry episode. Um, but just sauteed up some chicken, added that, and I thinned it out a little bit with some just canned coconut milk. Oh my gosh, it was so good. And okay. then I will post um, yeah, I'll have to post it on my blog. But the a recipe for carrot almond butter muffins. Ingredients yeah. were eggs, almond butter, carrots, honey, coconut flour. That was it. Oh. So good. Yeah. Kids okay. loved them. Is it Tikka or Tika? Oh, it's I another Kefir or Kefir. Oh, geez. I say Tika. <laughs> tika? Shit. I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe you're right. I've always said Tika. Perhaps I'm wrong, but I've never heard it called Tika. <laughs> well, that T-I-K-K-A masala yeah. one. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> oh, my God. Perhaps you're right. We'll have to find out. 
I have to Google that. All right. What about you? Okay. So I've got Greek yogurt whipped cream in it. I'll put the recipe in our show notes, but it was basically just kind of a more nutrient dense version of whipped cream. Turned out really good. Made with Greek yogurt. And then also I made your fish Florentine recipe from the last episode, The Healthier in a Hurry. And it was a huge hit. Uh, I mean, Nick loved it. And he, I mean, he was, he went back for seconds, which honestly doesn't happen ever anyway, but especially not when there's fish involved. So I think that's a keeper. If you haven't checked that recipe out, it was on our last episode, Fish Florentine. We used cod. Okay. And we got a a review from Britt. BG says, I love this podcast. I'm an RD to B and I totally agree with all the nutrition information these awesome dietitians say. Love that they keep me company on longer commutes to my dietetic internship sites. Awesome. Hope she's uh, still able to go to some of those sites. Who knows? Uh, (laughs) I know some of the internships here are really struggling to figure out what to do with their interns. All right. So coming up on June 14th, we will be dishing about summer grilling and meal ideas. Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitian's Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram, and check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdishpodcast.com. Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets, such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. If you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds. And really, you don't even have to write anything. Just fill out the stars. All right. Until next time, everyone, be well. And Nicole, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye.